Hey everybody, welcome to the I Like a Spooky Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Catherine Mary Stewart. I'm Ivan E. Roth. And I'm not crazy, I just don't give a fuck. Gretchen <laughs> Willie from Night of the Comet. That's fucking awesome, man, but where's Samantha at? You mean Kelly Maroney. Um, you, you know I don't know. Um, the last I saw, she took off with Danny Mason Keener. The burden of civilization is on us, okay? Oh, yeah. Fiction, isn't it? Let's play a game. It's called Scary Noises. I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to the I Like a Spooky podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. I'm Clint. And I literally just got in the door from day three of Motor City Nightmares in Novi, Michigan. And I'm really tired. And I'm probably going to make a hell of a lot less sense than I normally do. Bear with me. I. I wonder if anybody's even going to notice. Probably not. Typical Clint. You guys are jerks. Let's just get to the news. My little news topic today, I wanted to talk about stuff that's not officially confirmed yet, but it kind of possibly popped up today on Facebook as we were looking through. Brian sent it over to me. But Return of the Living Dead 4K is coming out through Scream Factory. Uh, This was put on Facebook by Dawn of the Discs, which I follow them, of course, trying to see all the new releases. It was just a leak from Bull Moose. I don't even know if it was a leak, but it was just a post from Bull Moose um, about the Return of the Living Dead 4K. There was no other information about it. I guess it's coming out October 18th. But I'm hoping we get the full Scream Factory treatment with uh, figure, um, soundtrack, who knows, you know, just at least we'll get a poster. But I'm hoping they do a little bit more since, you know, it's kind of our namesake here and we all love the movie. Wait, I was taking a nap. I'm sorry. What movie was it we're talking about? Uh, The I Like It Spooky, like inspired. Wait, are we inspired? Yeah, we're inspired by them. (laughs) Uh, Return of the Living Dead. Thank you, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, so I hope that... um they do like they did with the fog, you know, they just re-released the, or, you know, did the 4k version of the fog. So we got a Stevie Wayne action figure that we still have yet to see, but I paid for it. It would be really cool if we get a deeper cut figure from return of the living dead. I mean, there's, you know, a couple, three different versions of the tar man out there. It'd be really cool to get a, a trash or, you know, like we were talking about before the Joe or the show, the Joe, I'm telling you, bear with me people before I need coffee before the show. And, you know, and Jason said, it'd be cool to get the car or, you know, it'd be cool to get trash or suicide or somebody else. I want Bert. I want Bert and Ernie. There you go. Halloween is supposed to be continuing their 4k releases this year through screen factory. Nothing official yet, but again, bull moose kind of like leaked a picture and it shows a box set and it says eight disc set. Uh, 1995 to 2002. So that would cover, um, what is it? Like the curse of Michael Myers, H2O resurrection, like kind of the end of those before we get into the Rob zombie stuff, which it's kind of weird. The picture, it shows an eight disc set. I hope that's just like a box to store them all in, 
because the other ones were released individually. So I don't know if you're, they're going to be individual releases or you have to buy the box set of the new release movies. But no other intro, no information on that. Hopefully within the next couple of weeks, I'm sure we'll get something from Screen Factory. What did you get before? The first four or five? Uh, five. Yep, one through five. Okay, so it would go from six, seven. Six, yeah. The Curse and then Resurrection H2O. Our last episode, uh, Brian mentioned that his unpopular horror opinion is that he's not a fan of The Shining. My seemingly unpopular horror opinion is that I freaking love Curse of Michael Myers. A lot of people do not like that movie. I love that flick. It's great. Yeah, people love the producer's cut, the one that was hard to get for the longest time. Eh, I'm not a big fan of it. It gets weird. I mean, Curse in general is kind of the oddball anyway. I kind of, I I love Paul Rudd. I love some of the story about it, but not on my top of my Halloweens. But I do love it. I do watch it a couple times a year. Uh, also, just got a couple more releases coming out. These are already confirmed. There's a Paranormal Activity box set. All the movies on a nine-disc set that's coming out. I think it's on pre-order from Amazon for like 60 bucks. so not bad. I kind of like Paranormal Activity. It's a fun series. Also, Lost Boys on 4K and Poltergeist on 4K. <laughs> Shit. Coming out on September 20th. That's all I got for news. Brian, what do you got? So this kind of ties in with our last episode. We were asked by Brian Clark what our favorite cryptid was. And my son Jack was just at Loch Ness um, looking for Nessie. So Newsweek, several very credible news outlets reported that the Loch Ness monster existence is plausible, scientists say. So it boils down to they always thought that the Loch Ness monster could not be in that lake because it is a saltwater animal. But some scientists found bones of that animal in a river, I believe in South America or South Africa. And they're only like three meters long, which is nine feet. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, it could. That's not a very big thing for as big as Loch Ness is. So like, I guess it could be in that lake somewhere at some point. I mean, I don't know that's still there, but just a cool tie into, you know, our last episode and maybe Nessie is out there. The X-Files is right all along. I knew it. So Jack didn't get any questionable pictures? No, no. They stopped for like five five minutes and took a picture and then they went back by. But yeah, no questionable pictures or anything. I wonder how many people are like absolute trolls out there and take out like <laughs> radio controlled boats that look like Nessie's head and just kind of fuck with people. You know it's been done. It's... All right, what you got, Clint? I've got a doozy and I've been salivating to share this with everybody. So uh, what we do here on the show is throughout the weeks, we come across what news articles that we think are interesting and we share them and then we pick and choose. And so when I shared this one, I immediately was like, claimed this is mine. And um, so I found uh, Deadline reported on July 21st that Greg Nicotero and The Walking Dead's Jimmy Miller are set to make a film on the making of George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Nicotero, who learned his craft on Romero Films, said he got the idea from this movie while he was attending George's memorial. Uh, you know, George passed away in 2017. And while uh, Greg Nicotero was at the memorial, he overheard some of Romero's old friends swapping stories about the making of the 1968 classic. Uh, he's quoted as saying, what I want to do is an Ed Wood-style movie that shows the heart and character of this guy with the backdrop, this magnificent seven version 
of a bunch who had no fucking idea what they were doing getting together to make Night of the Living Dead. Jimmy and I want to celebrate him and also our home in Pittsburgh where he made his movies. Super stoked about this. Nothing's ever been done like this uh, about this movie or this topic. And it's a widely discussed, heavily influential movie. Uh, so th this has my interest. Yeah, I wonder how much stuff is out there. I'm sure there's probably tons of extra footage that's just gone away where hopefully, you know, Nicotero and maybe Romero's wife will let him go through stuff and maybe pull out some other footage. Is it, it wait, so Ed Wood style, like what? Like they're going to make it into like an actual movie? Right. The, from what I get from it, it's not, it's going to be a, a movie. It's not going to be a documentary. It's almost going to be a, a dramatization. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's why it has my interest. Because yeah, I've seen them, everybody's seen a million documentaries of Night of the Living Dead. And they're all super interesting. I've watched some multiple times. But to see a, a dramatization of how it was filmed. And my, all the first thing that popped in my head was, is who's going to play George? You know what I mean? And like you say, maybe he can obtain some, you know, hidden footage or not hidden, but, um, you know, lost footage or whatever. Well, Nicotero and the Nicotero and Miller project has secured the cooperation of Romero's widow. So the interesting part about this story is right after this article broke, not more than five minutes after another article came up, and there, there's kind of trouble in the waters. And apparently th there's news of another making of the Night of the Living Dead. But this is might possibly be a TV miniseries in the works from John Russo and Gary and Russ Striner. Uh, Striner claims it was his anecdote about George's early days that sparked Nicotero's idea. Um, and that they had s spoken to Miller and Nicotero about collaborating on the project. It kind of sounds like they're, they're getting ready to maybe get into a little squabble about whose idea this is and who has the rights to do it. And But then again, it sounds like two different projects. The the Striner Russo seem to have three screenplays written and want to take it in a TV, mini TV miniseries direction, where the Nicotero Miller project wants to make it just a feature film. I don't know. As a fan, I'm ready to soak all of this up, though. I think it would be fun if they did like a TV show based back in the 60s again like around the time frame of Night of the Living Dead, not like the modern Walking Dead, just kind of what they had back then. And maybe we could see like what the other people around the farm were doing and going through as part of the series. It'd be fun. They did that on episode, um, well, I think I think it was the last episode of season three of Creepshow. I told, I think I told both of you guys, but I remember Brian watched it, excuse me, and it was a, uh, you know, a black and white shot and it was like 20 minute short or episode of Creepshow. And it was the same time they referenced um, Evan City, you know, and all that. But it happened in like a nearby town. It was. Did you ever see that, Jason? No, that doesn't ring a bell at all. Go back to Creepshow season three. I think I said before that I need to like make sure I've watched them all. But now I don't think I have. So, yeah, I'll have to go through those again. It's a good 20 to 30 minutes of just what you described. So I, I think you'll like it. Perfect. Was that the one that had Horror Express as the second story or first story? The guy with the that was going into the Horror Express movie, Justin Long, wasn't it? I think I could be wrong because it's been a while since I've watched him. I think that one you're talking about was the end of season two. Okay, when they disagree on things, you know that's how Return of the Living Dead came along. Was um, John Russo and Russ Strainer and I think the other writer, um, Dan O'Bannon wanted to make a movie or make their own kind of thing. And then George Romero 
was like, yeah, you guys do your own thing. I don't really like that idea. I want to do something different or they wanted to work with them and it just didn't work out. So then we got Return of Living Dead. If this disagreement between this group comes up with something just as good as that, yeah, I'm all for it. I'll watch it. Absolutely. And it's going to make tons of money, which is something that we don't have. So let's get back over to Jason with the financial report. Looking over what I bought like this last week on, you know, trying to figure out why I'm so poor and I'm realizing this week I'm not as poor because when you guys hear this episode, we'll just be finishing up with flashback weekend. So then I'll be poor, but I'm trying to save all my money right now for that. My wife has some horror shirts. She's going with us. I wanted her to find like another one. So we found her a cool ass like poltergeist shirt. So I grabbed that for her. She's not a big spender on stuff. So I'm like, yeah, let's, you know, let's get something, something fun you can wear. She, she has a few loves for horror movies and Poltergeist is definitely one of them. So I got that for her. And then all my other stuff has been non-horror related. I'm a big football fan. Football season's coming. So I'm stocking up on some sports cards, other stuff that I like to collect, not just horror, grabbing some lion stuff and couple more like hip hop records, but that's about it. So I guess I'm not, I'm just not spending my money on the horror stuff right now, but definitely next week's episode or next episode you guys hear after this, it'll be full of some good shit. What about you guys? Well, I had some good shit to share. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I have not slowed down. Where's my list? Okay, here it is. So you guys saw that when I was at Days of the Dead recently, I picked up from Metal Devil Art, sheet metal cutout that I got from Melissa and it's like a chainsaw and it says groovy hail to the King baby. Cause she's a giant evil dead Ash Williams fan. But what you guys didn't see, what I didn't show you is I, I picked up another piece from him. Actually I, 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 I didn't, I think Melissa, I bought her the groovy and then she went over and bought me the, I, we live in the same house. It's all the same freaking money. So anyway, also picked up, um, it's a tales from the crypt cutout. real simple. Just says tales from the crypt, but the font is very authentic to the tales from the crypt comic book and you know tv series um i love that stuff from metal devil art it's going to complement on the last episode i was talking about the lb3d evil entities crypt keeper that i ordered that i haven't and so it's, i got that i saw it and i'm like yeah i'm gonna get that and and put that with it pair it together it's gonna be pretty cool i might backlight it i, I don't know yet but it's a cool piece yeah, that would be sweet, putting some LEDs behind that thing. Yeah, even doing like a little shadow box or something. Just something to make it glow. Pull a page from uh, Mike Mash's playbook and see what I can do. You are inspiring us, Mike Mash. Thank you. So, um, and I just got done with Motor City Nightmares, and I picked up three things there. Two of them are 18 by 24 prints from Ghoulish Gary, and one is the Silent Night Deadly Night print. The story behind that is I was walking around and he had the, I don't know the size, maybe it's two foot by three foot, uh, a bigger print. Uh, Ghoulish Gary did it, but it was like the Coca-Cola ad. That's how he described it of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Had relinquished to Mondo and he had one left and I was just waiting and waiting for whatever reason I was waiting. I looked and it was gone and I'm just super bummed out. And I was telling, I was telling Jason about it. And he was like, yep, FOMO, you just lost. Son of a bitch, but. So anyway, I went back over and realized that Gary had um, a flip book of some 18 by 24 prints. So I picked up this really cool Silent Night, Deadly Night print that he did that apparently is the same artwork on the cover of the soundtrack that was recently released for that movie. He also had a real cool Night of the Comet print 
18 by 24 that I picked up that I think I'm going to take the flashback to get autographed. I was going to have the, um, the Night of the Comet cast that's there sign a, a, a Night of the Comet themed t-shirt that I made, but I thought this print is cooler looking and will hold some more value, so why not? And then lastly, oh no, there is one more thing after that. Lastly, um, while I was at Motor City Nightmares, I came across the Mezco Cinema of Fear screen grabs. And um, I've got some of them, but this is the Nightmare in Elm Street one where Nancy Thompson is laying in bed and Freddie's coming out from the wall over her bed. Rare piece. The guy that was selling it was selling it for just about what you can pick it up for anywhere, but it was in my face. It was in good condition. It's hard to come by. I was just reeling from not getting the, the Gary print that I wanted. So I ran her over there and said, okay, I'll take it. And then lastly, a couple episodes back, we were talking about at the San Diego Comic-Con, they were going to be releasing the Zombo action figure from the upcoming Rob Zombie's Monsters movie. And I was hoping that they were going to make it uh, available for however long it's, well, they did. I woke up from a nap, kind of felt like I do right now. I'm rubbing sleep out of my eyes. And I turned my phone on and I look and the second I did, it was like NECA going, you've got 10 minutes to buy this action figure. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm sending messages to Jason. Like, and he's like, what? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm freaking out and fumbling around. And by the grace of God, I was able to secure two of those Zombo action figures. Thank you, NECA. And thank you, social media. That's it. That's why my pockets are empty and hanging and blowing in the wind right now. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to buy that Zombo figure too. I was just thinking of, all the other shit that I've bought, non-horror related stuff. And I was like, okay, I can't do it right now. So I did not get one. So I'll be jealous. But I know where there's an extra one. So steal it or... For sale for $149.95. <laughs> all right, Brian, what'd you get? So Target had some stuff on clearance. So I picked up uh, Rob Zombie 31 Steelbook for like five bucks. I've never even seen the movie, but like I was like, for five bucks... And that was the last copy where I live. And I did not see any in Burlington or Peoria. Like they were all sold out. So we were in Iowa City um, for like two days. The kid Finley was at the mall where they have a like children's museum. So we took turns going out shopping. I was like, oh, I'm going to walk over to Best Buy. Usually they don't have anything movie wise because it's like an appliance store now. And they don't really have movies. <laughs> but they did have for 10 bucks each. The first three seasons of Ultraman Steelbook. So Ultraman 1, 2, 3, the first three seasons on Steelbook with a booklet for 10 bucks each. And I think there's like six discs in each one. So Ultraman was like a, a Toho or like it was after Godzilla. Um, this company kind of off, you know, did an offshoot and they wanted to make some movies. So they did Ultraman. I believe it's all black and white, but it's got some of the. Um, Godzilla characters in it. I need to open it and watch all that. I got these. Got why we're talking Godzilla themed stuff. I got some Godzilla postcards. Our friend Sarah sent me a postcard, so I was like, "Oh, that's cool." So just all these different Godzilla postcards. So now I have twenty four Godzilla postcards to mail out to people. Clint and I are backers of Valentine Bluffs, so I got my Valentine Bluffs greetings from Handiger Mine postcards. Yeah, they're cool. I got five of those, so. I don't know. It says Hanager Mining Company on the back, established in 1692. Those are cool. And then I got this figure. Let me see if I can find it. Where's the box? No one can find these damn things anywhere. Look, the box is even empty. It's a Bigfoot figure. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, God. See, I am slow today. I thought that 
that's how it came. Like, ah, I'm hiding. You can't see me. And that, that's, that was funny, but you just took it out of the box. Okay. Yeah. So we went to, when we went to Iowa City, we went to the Amana Colonies, which is like a German colony in Iowa. Finley wanted, they had a little toy store and Finley wanted to go in there and I saw this and it was only 15 bucks. I mean, it's a pretty good size. It's about the size of any NECA figure, maybe a little bit smaller, but for 15 bucks, I was like, I have to fucking buy this after the last episode where you guys were like, fuck cryptids. I don't like that stuff. But I was like, I gotta <laughs> fucking buy a Bigfoot. I like that. That's cool. It's pretty cool, though. I mean, he, he has a couple moving joints. His head doesn't move, but his legs and feet, all that. He kind of, he has the pose from the, you know, that video where the Bigfoot's walking across and looking at you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got that pose in the box, but. Who made that? Archie McPhee is what it says. 2021 Archie McPhee. ArchieMcPhee.com. Your toy has more hair than you. It's taller than me, so. Just a fun, like, I was like, I got to get a toy while I'm here. Like, they had a bunch of Bigfoot stuff. They had, like, Bigfoot, um, hide-and-seek champion, like, stuff like that. It was just funny. Like, <laughs> He looks like he's doing the Egyptian, you know, the bangles from the 80s. Walk yeah, he's just got that pose. That's about all. I got a bunch of movies from, I got my first shipment from Vinegar Syndrome. So I busted those open, watched, uh. Shrek of the Mutilated kind of went in blind, but it's a Bigfoot movie. <laughs> a Yeti movie. So got that. Two Undercover Angels, or it's either that or it's Kiss Me Monster. I don't know if it's the same movie. I haven't opened that one yet. I al- I almost followed you down the, the path of physical media when I was at Motor City Nightmares, man. I wandered over and there was a, a vendor with a bunch of cool DVDs I almost bought. Writing Wrongs is a nice, I haven't opened it either, but it's one of those ones that's in a hardcover and then it's in a slip book and then it's got a book with it. It's pretty neat. Nice packaging. We're going to have to get you a bigger shelf for Christmas. Yeah, this one's full. I'm going to have to buy another shelf. The problems we have, I'm out of shelf space. Maybe if we get a sponsor for this episode, we could find someone to pay for a shelf. Well, that's why I'm poor because Bigfoot stole my wallet and I can't find it and I can't find him either. So let's take it over to a sponsor. The InkMirrors.com Express is still clicking along through this convention season with upcoming stops Saturday, August 20th at Rotten Manor Haunted House in Holly, Michigan for the first annual Bizarre Bazaar. Then again, August 27th at Wicked Bazaar in Livonia, Michigan. Be sure to check out Ink Mares on Facebook and Ink.Mares on Instagram for continually updated info on these and more shows to come during the remainder of 2022. And don't forget to grab your I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast t-shirt and many more at inkmares.com. So now it's time for the movie, and I was put in Facebook or podcast jail last week for calling the last movie a horror classic and i was informed that this movie is a horror sci-fi comedy but not a classic it's everything but a classic no it's this one this one is a classic like you said we're covering it here on the i like a spooky pod horror podcast we only cover the classics so does that mean uh deep blood is a classic now that shark movie we covered it's a classic piece of so anyway, this movie that we're um, <laughs> that we're covering this week, we are going to discuss Night of the Comet from 1984. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the backup on that one. 
Oh, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> this is a this is a horror comedy podcast full of jokes today. Jesus Christ! Like every movie we've watched since Clint joined the show has been dubbed as a horror comedy. Like we're gonna watch we're gonna watch something like Necromantic, and they're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, a horror smut gore comedy." You know what's crazy is when I think of a horror comedy, I think of the first thing that pops in my head is. Return of the Living Dead Part 2. They intentionally put the humor in the forefront of that film, which is why a lot of people dislike it, including some people who you know, were involved with making the film. These other ones, they get listed as horror comedies. I know we've kind of discussed this over some other episodes. I don't know if it's because it doesn't have like a super dark, sinister, gory, maniacal fucking tone. You know, like Night of the Comet from 1984 is rated PG-13 and it's got some teen angst and some valley girls just want to have fun stuff, but it's not a fucking comedy. I don't think I laughed one time. Yeah. They didn't even try, but I, I don't know. Somebody out there is in charge of labeling it. I want to meet that person. We've discussed this at length and we cannot come up with an answer. So if anybody out there listening has a take on this, an opinion and a viewpoint that we're missing, please share it with us. You can email it to ilegaspookypod at gmail.com. Give us a phone call, social media, because I want to know, because I just don't understand the comedy part. So this was my second watch of this movie. I watched this a few years ago and remember not really liking it so much when we talked about doing it. Um, coming up at Flashback, when you guys listen to this, we'll just be finishing up. Two of the gals are going to be there. Catherine Mary, Catherine Mary Stewart's going to be there, and she played Reg and... Yep, Marooney, and she played um, Samantha. And also, just announced, uh, well, recently announced, is Ivan E. Roth, who played the the lead stock boy, Willie, one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't in the movie too long, but... Oh, he's got the coolest line where he says, I'm not crazy, I just don't give a fuck. It was funny. That's it. There's the comedy. That line was funny. We were wrong. Insert laugh track. <laughs> I point at that part, and then there's the part, and we're jumping ahead, but where they're shooting the Uzis or whatever they were, she's like, Daddy would have got us M16s or something like that. And I was like, ah, that's busting her sister's chops. That was kind of funny. But yeah, that's the only two parts of the whole movie are funny. It it does for the subject matter of the film, which we'll get back to a synopsis. I think we'll try to here in a minute, but it it has a very lighthearted tone. Again, it's rated PG-13, dealing with a post-apocalyptic end of the world zombie infested situation. So I, again, I'll, I'll repeat myself for the fifth time. It, it, I don't get the comedy, but yeah, it's very, very lighthearted. And I, I would love to see an R rated version of this movie. I would love to see it just a little darker, a little edgier, a little more gore. I've seen this movie multiple times. Um, and I know there's a lot of people out there who have, it has a huge cult following and it was actually pretty, uh, pretty financially successful when it came out. What was it here? It only cost like seven hundred thousand to make an opening weekend. Uh, it made what three point five mil, three point five million an opening weekend off a seven hundred thousand dollar budget. And since then, it's doubled, uh, all, more than doubled. It's uh, up to like fourteen point five mil worldwide. So there's people out there who love it for what it is. Still gets like uh, Blu-ray releases, and so bringing in money from that and special features from Screen Factory again. It, it, it gets specialized made T-shirts from Inkmears.com. That's worth a million bucks right there. That's all the love it needs. 
Uh, so this movie's about um, a comet that's coming past the Earth for the first time in like 65 million years. I don't know how they know that. I, I They must have asked somebody back then, you know, like when the last time it came around. There were scientists in the movie <laughs> who knew what was going on. I'm, I'm just a dummy from Illinois. You know, I don't know all that, you know, science shit. So people are celebrating this comet's arrival and people are throwing parties. Everybody's having a good time. And they go out to look at the comet when it passes by and starts off this movie in a <laughs> kind of weird, twisted way. And I have a lot of questions about it. So hopefully you guys know more about it and you can answer them for me as we get to them. So what happens is like a lot of the people in the world just disappear, turn to dust. So, but then we do have survivors. So I'm kind of questioning like, oh, why did they survive? I know the reason for a couple of them. And then some people turn into these weird zombies like a homeless guy who was probably out on the street when the comet came by. Why didn't he die? Why didn't he get vaporized? I have a really good theory on that. No, so uh, if you watch the movie, they, they really lightly touch on the fact that uh, the people who are like completely, sur- you know, complete survivors, it's because they all were not watching the comet. They were enclosed in steel enclosures of some sort. The lead male, uh, which I forget his name as many times as I've seen this movie, uh, but the lead male hero of this movie, he slept in the back of his semi-trailer truck, which I didn't know was steel. I thought those were like aluminum. Maybe they were steel back in 84. The Reg character, she was inside the projection booth of the movie theater with her, I'm going to pay you $12.50 and a bag of jujus to have sex with you boyfriend. <laughs> and her sister, Samantha, had a fight with her stepmom, who was cheating on their dad with the neighbor guy. So she got mad and slept in the steel garden shed. But the, the homeless guy you're talking about, they never really say, but they say that the people that turned in or were slowly turning into zombies were half exposed meaning they were not enclosed in a steel enclosure. My guess was that since he was a homeless guy in the back of the alley, maybe he was like sleeping in the dumpster or something, and they just had the plastic tops. That That's how my brain made sense of it. Maybe I just didn't pay attention to all that. Do sometimes. Miss like one, one key little conversation and kind of ruins the whole movie. I mean, it didn't ruin it. I liked the movie. It was, you know, good for a second watch. Well, yeah, because they talk about at the end, towards the end, the people that survived that are underground, somebody had left the vents open. The comet dust or the the light from it. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, like was able to go down in there. So they were slowly turning to zombies, I guess. That was my question. I was like, are they zombies? They call them zombies at one point. The lead male character does. He's like, they're zombies. But I'm like, these are would be like, a precursor to return to the living dead being like fast and able to speak and more human like zombies than previous zombies. So I was like, are they zombies? Like what are they really kind of infected? I don't know. They, they kind of show that the one was eating somebody, but they don't dig very deep into that. And the one was eating like a dead cat or a, was a live cat. And then it was a dead cat. I don't know that they're eating to like, not feel pain or like they're eating brains. I feel like they're just eating because they're hungry. Right. So, so my take on this always was that they weren't zombies in the Romero esque sense of the word. They were basically almost more like the incredible melting man, which is a movie we haven't discussed yet, but a a late seventies horror classic, probably a comedy (laughs) who the hell knows. So because of the exposure to the comet, they were basically slowly drying out and turning into dust since they were half exposed that 
process was slowed way down. So it wasn't necessarily that they were zombies and they needed to eat people because you never saw like you had to shoot them in the head to kill them, things that we know of as zombies. Or you never saw like they were reanimated where you could chop them into little pieces and they still came at you. They were no different than humans. They were just violent. And I think it's that they were slowly decomposing. And so, of course, their brain with their motor functions and their reasoning was slowly decomposing as well and just kind of reverted back to wild animals. Man, I think I'm more awake than I thought. This second... This second can of Mellow Yellow here is doing it to it. Let's go. Bring some more questions, guys. So is this a Christmas movie? Was it Christmas or New Year's? It was Christmas time. It was 11 days before Christmas at one point during the movie. Yes, it's a Christmas movie. So everybody falls asleep. Or they, you know, the main characters fall asleep. They wake up. Everybody's gone. The sister's like pouring a bowl of cereal because she needs to go to cheerleader practice. And no one's answering the phone. And Reg is like, what the fuck do you mean? everybody's gone and they like go outside and I can't remember the stepmom's name, but they're like, she's like, Reg is like, this is her and like pulls up the dress that she was wearing and she's dust in between Reg fights that person off. That's infected or, you know, decaying the homeless guy. Yeah. The homeless guy. And she takes the motorcycle and she's going through town and it's empty. She pulls up to a car and there's no one in it, but there's music playing. And it's Christmas music. And then at one point they also say, oh, it's 11 days till Christmas. So I'm like, it's December. You know, they're in California or somewhere, you know, where it's warm. It doesn't snow. So I was like, is this a Christmas movie? It very well could be labeled. I mean, it's December. It's two weeks within two weeks of Christmas. Do you consider it a Christmas movie? Well, plus the entire world turned red. Getting ready for Christmas. (laughs) That was some cool filtering, though. Everything was just freaking red. I guess all that comic dust. I loved, uh, well, that that was like people dust. I love how they did that towards the end of the movie, jumping way ahead. Rain comes out and you see the rain washing all this dust and it's kind of turning it to this dirty clay water down the drains. And everything all of a sudden is is that that hue, that red hue is gone. Everything looks bright and colorful and normal. I thought that was a neat, neat effect. They did a lot of, I mean, for $700,000, this was basically an indie flick. And, you know, to get those scenes where she was riding around on the motorcycle and no one was there, they went out to the streets of L.A. at the crack of freaking dawn, you know, kind of like Danny Boyle did in uh, uh, 28 Days Later. You know, he went around London and got shots all over the place when everybody was sleeping and just littered the streets with newspaper. And in this movie, it was dust. I think that's a really cool. I love I love resourceful indie filmmaking like that. Yeah, I like that part, too, where she's just driving around and. Absolutely nothing going on. And she pulls up to the car. I don't even know if she fully realizes what's going going on, but she pulls up next to the car and she's sitting there just waiting for the red light. And then she looks over and realizes nobody's in the car. So I wonder where it really started with her. I mean, it was early in the morning too there. So maybe it is, they're used to it being quiet like that, but I couldn't imagine. So being in LA. Here's a, here's the even deeper question than is this a Christmas movie? Is this movie somehow linking the red dust and people all being excited about Christmas and this comet consumerism in the eighties being the end all be all of mankind and this small group surviving that has to start the world all over again. And they become this family. That's not really a family. Yes. That's all. No. Hey, if you want to get deep and philosophical about it, think about it, man. It's it's Christmas, right? The birth of Jesus in Christianity. So maybe it was kind of like Jesus is coming and he is pissed. And just, you know, 
took everybody out, and then you had Adam and Eve start over with a couple more Eves and a younger Adam. We'll get to that in a minute, folks. So the sisters go home and, you know, they figure out that the world's come to an end. Then they go to the radio station because the radio is playing and they're like, well, somebody has to be there playing the radio. Um, they go to the radio station and the one sister's messing around with the phone. The guy, the main guy character comes and Reggie kind of takes him off to the side and they're talking after he threatens to kill him because he thinks they're, he says zombies. The one sister's messing with the telephone in the radio station and she gets a phone call. Um, so that kind of starts that whole process with these people underground that are, you know, a think tank or scientist. The guy, he leaves because he has to go check on his mom and they go shopping. And then that's Clint's favorite part of the movie. Um, yeah, so they go shopping at the mall, right? And this is like my favorite scene of the movie. And it's not even necessarily the favorite scene. It's just like this really cool line. They think everybody's gone in the world. They don't really understand the whole half exposed. I mean, at that point, they've only run across one you know, zombie, I guess is what you want to call it, whatever half exposed comet monster person. So they're running all over this multiple level mall and, you know, having fun and trying on clothes and girls just want to have fun. Music's playing in the background. They got to play it on the radio. Well, they don't know that there's a few people in the store and it is a group of stock boys from before all this went down. They are all, well, it's revealed that they are slowly turning into these monsters and uh, yeah, it's just got the coolest line in the movie. You know, they start shooting at each other. The stock boys finally capture them. They put them in the back room. They chain them up. The lead stock boy, Willie, who's kind of like the boss of all these guys, that's when it's revealed. He's got a gun to him and he's playing like Russian roulette, getting ready to kill him. And it's just, let's play scary noises and over and over. Click. Nope, that's not it. I think it's this one, girls, you know, and that's when they, you know, you're crazy. And he goes, I'm not crazy. I just don't give a fuck and i'm like oh it's the best line ever i want to say that to a lot of people she calls him crazy again it says what do you want from us and he takes his sunglasses off and that's when you see he is turning into the monster he's got the deep eyes um he says you wouldn't believe what you what we want from you not in your worst nightmares and then he gets ready to pull the trigger one more time the music tenses up you know this is it and the scientists slash army guys come in and mow him down and save the day he actually says that line Kelly Marooney at the top of the stairs. He catches her. Reg catches one of his people, and she's like, let her go. And he's like, you can't have one of my people. And she's like, why well, do? And then he shoots his guy, and she says, you're crazy. And he's like, that's when he says that line. And then somehow, I don't even remember, it kind of jumped to that part where they were in the stock room and had them tied up and chained up. Like I was like, why the hell do they have so many chains? Like, where do, they, where do they think these girls are going? Like, what the hell? When the army guys came in, that's where it got super weird for me. I rewound it a couple times because they came in, saved the day, saved the girls. And then all of a sudden, uh, Regina, Reg, is taken off in a helicopter and her sister is staying behind. But they don't go into it at all, do they? Saying anything like, hey, we can only take one of you or something. It's just so I rewound it and I'm like, oh, I missed something. And all of a sudden, they're just going to let them split them up for nothing. A lot of that stuff was very subtle, and it was because Samantha, played by Kelly Marooney, she got hives whenever she got nervous, and so she was really scratchy and had a rash. The scientists deduced that she had been exposed to the comet and that she was going to turn into one of these creatures, so she wasn't worth saving for whatever purpose, which we get into a purpose a little bit later on back at the scientist's underground lab. So they split the girls up. They figured Regina was a young, healthy girl. She showed, showed no signs of illness. So they took her back to the base 
and they were going to put Samantha to sleep basically like you would an, uh, an animal if you take it to the vet, you know, just kind of like an injection and she would go to sleep and that was it, which you're led to believe happens. Well, I knew that we understood what was going on, but it was just weird that they separated them without that conversation with the sisters or whatever is what I mean. Oh, no. The, so they wanted they wanted one of them to stay in case Hector came back. Hector was the, the male hero. Because remember, they met Hector at the radio station. He went back to the somewhere nearby to see if his mom was still alive. And the scientists were like, one of you stay here in case Hector comes back because you know him. He's not going to freak out if he just sees us with guns. Oh, speaking of, that was a good scene when uh, Hector went back to find his mom. And he's in the house and he hears something rustling around. And he goes and opens the door and it's that little kid zombie. <laughs> and he was like, I don't want to hit a kid or I don't want to shoot a kid or something. I was thinking, could you, would you guys be able to do that though? You know, we're all dads. We've talked about that before where you protect kids, but then if a little zombie's after you, like what, what would you do? It's easy to say yes when you're not in that situation. Um, and I don't want to come across as a cold hearted prick because I, I get the sentiment. I worry about my children all the time. I worry about other people's children when I see them, but that's a completely different situation. And so I am comfortable sitting in this chair right now saying, yes, that kid would go. I've told Melissa before we get into, you know, fantasy, you know, conversations like this. And I look at her and I go, honey, I'm sorry, but if you turn into a zombie, I love you, but you are gone. I will miss you. I'll probably cry, but I'm not going to hesitate <laughs> to put you down. <laughs> And I wouldn't want someone to hesitate for myself either, you know. Well, you have to think that kid is eventually going to turn into dust. So by not shooting him, he's just allowing that kid to be in pain and slowly deteriorate. And he's going to die anyway and risking his own life. Like if that kid would have caught him, he would have torn him to shreds and then he's dead too. So mercy killing. If you think, oh, there's only a couple people left in the whole world and I might need to start the human race again, like you need to put yourself at a higher regard and be like, okay, I have to do whatever I need to to protect myself. How about you? How about, well, hold on, how about you, Jason? What would you do? Oh, I, I told myself at that point, I'm like, that kid's got to go. Take his ass out. <laughs> <laughs> but then I didn't want to come across as like the prick here. Like, oh, I would have just shot the kid in his face. So again, like the scientists, did they know what was going to happen with this comment coming by? Because they were kind of ready to go. They, you know, I don't remember if they said anything about that, but like, again, maybe I half-ass listen. It, it kind of sounded, I got the impression that, that they anticipated this, but I don't think they were fully aware or prepared. They knew something was coming. I think they were as prepared as they, they could have been. And that's why they needed survivors. They needed survivors because, I mean, skipping ahead a little bit, once you get uh, to the underground scientist lab, that's when you discover that they are all slowly rotting away too because somebody left the vents open above ground. So there was some partial exposure from the comet. So you find out that, and you kind of have, they have this tone that, that these are not good people. You're not quite for sure, but you're kind of like, oh, something's weird here, you know? And you find out that they're not really worrying about rescuing survivors or helping people. They're trying to harvest blood to come up with an antidote or a reversal agent or something to save their own asses. Yeah, and that led that lead lady scientist that went to wait for with Kelly Marooney and wait for the guy um, had said that she's like, "Oh yeah, we we knew something along the lines was going to happen, but some idiot left the vents open, so we were all exposed." And then she 
commits suicide because she knows she's exposed and she's going to turn into one of these creatures eventually. But she, I think she must have at first, like, or, you know, told them where to go, go to this place to try to save your sister or this person. I liked how they did that too, because the whole, everything with her, th- um, what was her name? I got it written down because she actually was nominated for the Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress for this movie uh, in 1985 at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Her name's um, Mary Woronov. Um, she's been in, what, what did she have, like 122 acting credits. She was in Death Race 2000 and Warlock, just to name two of a many. But she did a great job um, when she's introduced roughly about halfway through the film. You could tell that she's not happy with what's going on. She has a moral dilemma with the direction that the rest of these scientists are taking who are very cold and calculating and logical and just want to save their own ass. But what also is interesting is uh, it plays into my theory where I think people who are partially exposed are rotting and their brains are deteriorating because you see her start to forget things. She's slowly forgetting what she's saying or she's trying to write the and she forgets how to spell the word cat or something simple like that. But yeah, so after they go to the mall and save the girls. They send Reg back to the base. They keep Samantha there to wait for Hector. They're going to put Samantha down. You see the female doctor inject Samantha. She falls asleep. Then the female doctor shoots the military guard that was left with her just in case. Or no, not the guard. It was another scientist who wouldn't leave her alone. That's right, because he didn't trust her. She shoots that scientist, goes back to the radio station to wait for Hector. You think she killed Sam and the guy. So you're like, well, I don't know what is going on. It was it was neat because it, you really had to follow along. It was a little mystery. So why didn't she kill Sam? What was the reasoning for that? They said she, he said she just put her to sleep. Like it didn't kill her. Or did Sam just happen to survive it? No, she just put her to sleep. She didn't kill her because she realized what was happening to her. She knew what was going to happen to them, to, uh, to the other scientists. She did not agree with it on any level and took it upon herself to just try to help these healthy kids who were alive and had survived this have a chance. So didn't she, did she kill herself then? She did. She, she injected herself. Yeah, she gave herself enough of that sodium pentothal to kill herself. She gave Sam enough to slow her heart rate down, like enough that she was still alive if she appeared dead. But yeah, Sam went into that. She said, oh, I get nervous. I get hives. Like, I'm, I get itchy. I have horrible skin. Like, so I think she realized that she had not been exposed enough that she was going to turn into a creature or she hadn't been exposed at all. Yeah, she did not agree with what they were doing. And it's that moral dilemma, like... They, as scientists, realize that they're trying to save the world because if they're gone, there's no survivors. But again, how they were going about it, maybe it's again, it's easy for us to say because we're not in that situation. But I don't know if I was exposed and I was a scientist and they're like, oh, if you get this blood, you can maybe reverse the effects and then you could save all of the people here and maybe go out and find survivors and people that have been exposed and save them, too. Well, and also we just used the word moral dilemma. And actually, now that I think about it, I don't even know if it was a moral dilemma or if it was, I think she had realized, she had kind of you know, assessed the data and realized this isn't going to work. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough people. So it might not even have been a moral thing. It might have been just a, you know, this is pointless killing these people right now to harvest their blood is pointless because it's not going to save my ass anyway. So kind of going back earlier where Jason said, what would you do about the kid? You know, in this situation, if I was her, 
well, I don't know what you guys would do, but I don't think I would try to go kill innocent people to save my own ass, especially if I knew I was going out anyway. No, man, I would skydive naked from an airplane with a cigarette in one hand and an FU in the other and just not pull the chute and hit the ground. You know, how cool would that be? What a rush. You'd have to fly the, fly the plane yourself because everybody's gone. Well, I figured I'd be naked so no one's going to fly the plane with me. Yeah, at one point, uh, Reggie says something along the lines of, who's going to fix your skin, Samantha? All the dermatologists are dead. We overlooked some of the cool special effects, like the zombies looked cool. Those cops, those cops looked really cool. The ones from the dreams uh, Samantha was having, that was good special effect makeup. I guess those those were actual police officers that were kind of like on scene, on set. I don't think there were security guards. I think there were actual police officers that were there when they were shooting outside L.A. shots at night. And they said, hey, since you're here, we got this idea of being this movie. Worked out. Looked good. They pull in a lot more levity than comedy and like more sad parts. Like at one point, Kelly Maroney breaks down and she's like, oh, there was this boy that liked me that was going to ask me on a date. And then there was this one girl that was going to do this and she starts bawling, you know, like she's upset because she's realizing all these people are gone in her life that, you know, the part with the scientists and the little kids and I have a hard time finding this being a horror comedy. Like I said, there's a couple parts that you laugh. As a whole, this is more of a science fiction drama, just end of times movie, just a sad movie if you want to sit and get that deep into it. But I understand it has a cult following because, you know, it's just a, a fun movie. I watched it and I was like, I mean, this is my second or third time. And I was like, this is just a fun, put it in, hour and 35 minutes. Just a fun, not too heavy, not a lot of gore, no nudity movie. Just fun. You could throw it on with about anybody in your family could watch it. The the pacing of this film is is pretty good, too. Nothing really lags, in my opinion, which I think helps the fact that it's PG-13. It doesn't have all the, the blood and gore and, again, the, the R-rated filler, but it moves along nicely. Nothing lags. The story unfolds real well. Leaves a little bit of mystery for a first-time watch, and then you kind of figure some stuff out as you go along and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. And <clears throat> So it's entertaining, yeah. And I was trying to put my finger on, I was like, that head scientist, I know him from somewhere. He looks so familiar. I was like, where the hell is he from? He's in a lot of stuff. Jeffrey Lewis. Yeah, I remember him from uh, Any Which Way But Loose or Any Which Way You Can. Clint Eastwood's like best friend. In those movies. I was like, that's where I know him from. <laughs> well, he was also in the original uh, Salem's Lot. He was, uh, I, was he like the cemetery caretaker? I can't remember. He was like the first one who you see outside the window. He was the first one in Salem's Lot who had turned into a vampire and was trying to get in the window. Yeah, he's been in a ton of movies. Uh, I think one of his last films, he's passed now and I can't remember when, but one of his last films was he was in... Um, Rob Zombie's The Devil's Rejects. Oh, yeah, he was the band in the band. He was trying to pick up uh, Sherry Moon. They met at the ice machine or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, Jeffrey Lewis is Juliette Lewis's dad. I didn't know that. Natural Born Killers, um, gosh, Strange Days. I mean, yeah, you guys know Christmas Vacation. This movie actually, for for being a low-budget film, for being read, it it had... um, a lot of star power to a degree. Jeffrey Lewis was in there, like we're talking about. Um, I just mentioned Mary Warnoff, you know, who's been in a ton of films. 
Kelly Marooney. I can't remember if it was before or after, but it was definitely around the same time. She was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. She was in another classic that is completely eluding my brain right now that if I said it, you would know what I'm talking about. Chopping Mall. Well, yeah, but no, there was another mainstream. No, Chopping Mall. That's it. Yeah, you're right. Okay, Chopping Mall. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I love her in, but... And then uh, the guy at the beginning that's the theater manager, maybe the owner, Stanley Brock. I remember him from a, he was the uncle in UHF. UHF, he owned the he owned the station. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I know that guy too from somewhere. And I was like, oh, he's in UHF. I love that movie. He was in some Night Court episodes too. You know, with the, I rewatched this film, I don't know, a couple months ago. I, I have to admit, I didn't watch it last night or for this show just because I was so tied up with the convention that I was at. I've seen it enough where I remember it, but um, I remember when I watched it about a month ago, I saw him and I'm like, is that Al Lewis? Is that Grandpa Munster? To the point where I had to stop and look it up and I'm like, oh, okay, nah, it's not. They could have been brothers. Yeah, it's it's a, for 700000 it looks good. It's well acted. It's well written. Like the special effects were good. When I looked and I was like, 1984, it does not look like a early 80s movie or mid 80s i was thinking like later 80s looked at the date and everything and it was released in november november 16th 84 so it was like getting ready for christmas so there you go see they knew what they were doing and unlike the last movie that we covered about a comet this actually has a 79 percent on rotten tomatoes pretty good rating you know what's crazy is i don't hate this movie and i'm kind of giving away my rating a little bit but I would go the opposite way. I wouldn't rate this a 15 like Maximum Overdrive was. But I would. I, I don't think I would rate this higher than Maximum Overdrive. That's crazy. Who the hell runs Rotten? Who the hell runs Rotten Tomatoes? We need to. We need to do a show and invest. Jason, you're good at stalking people. We need to find out what the hell's going. Who runs Rotten Tomatoes? I'm on it. Cue the Mission Mission Impossible music. Bum 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 bum. I like at the end, after it's all over with Kelly Maroney, finally gets her man. Some The other guy in the world finally shows up. That is one of the things I really love about this movie. I love about any movie that does this is when they I call them throughouts. I don't even know if that's an actual term or if it's something I just made up. But um, at the beginning of this film, the very, very beginning, you see Reggie. She works at a movie uh, theater, and the comet hasn't come yet. Everybody's ready to party and see the comet. She's playing Tempest, arcade game tempest they show her score and she has like all 10 places except for one the six places dmk and she's like she's like you know she just got third place and she beat her own high score she's looking and admiring the fact that she has all the places on the top score list and she goes wait a minute who's who's dmk and then jump forward to what jason's talking about at the very end Kelly and Samantha and Hector and the boy and girl that they rescued from the uh, scientist lab there are crossing the street. They almost get hit by a car. It's got a vanity plate in the front. DMK. Wow. I I didn't even pick up on that. I did this time. I didn't before, but I did this time. I was like, that's him. That's DMK. Oh, I like that. I also got a kick out of the fact that they're sitting there waiting at the stoplight. And they're like, oh, we can't walk yet. We got to wait for the crossing signal, you know, and it's the end of the world. 
But then they're so straight laced on that. And then the movie ends and they're running around in the street, like tossing around a ball. I'm like, oh, we can't cross, but we could just run all over the world here. And I thought it was interesting. They threw the guns away also. I didn't know if that was going to be a comment on being young and naive. Of course, the Hector character, he was kind of a street, street smart truck driver. You know, he wasn't necessarily a teenager. I think he was more supposed to be like a young man in his mid to late 20s or whatever. But anyway, uh, how naive are you to think that battled a bum, some stock boys, and the scientists, and now all the world is rid of half zombie evil? And the little girl, wasn't it the little girl says, if you're just going to throw them away, can I have one? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> well, I gather there were survivors left that were exposed. They would be dust by now. But if we learned anything from horror movies in horror movies the demons or the zombies or the monsters aren't the ones you worry about what if you run into other survivors that are like i want what you have you have no weapons i'm gonna take it i don't think the i don't think the world was ready for that conversation yet you didn't really heavily get into that you know discussion until you got into the walking dead and some movies before the walking dead but i think the walking dead really hit hit that concept home so I kind of checked out of this conversation a couple times. I'm, I'll have to admit it. I'm sorry, because I was trying to research something about the movie that I couldn't find. Did we discuss? <laughs> help me out. I let you guys, I warned everybody before I started this show. Did we discuss the breakout from the scientist lab? So we kind of got to back, we got we got to backtrack a little bit. So when Hector shows back up to the radio station and the female scientist explains to him what's going on, that she didn't really kill Sam, which actually she don't think she told her. She did tell him that. And then you cut to Reg and Reg is at the scientist lab. And that's when you discover that they're trying to harvest bodies for blood. That's when you discover that they just recently brought in a young boy and a young girl. Reg tries to break out. She realizes what's going on. Reg tries to break out. And as Reg is trying to break out, Hector and Samantha show up outside the gate of this uh, facility and they break in the three of them basically grab the kids, kill the, the scientists and blow everything up and take off. You didn't want some of that laughing gas that sends you straight, straight to the North pole. I kind of feel like I had some, I feel like right now, like I had some, see, I'm trying to think though. I don't, I don't remember if they did mention that Sam was dead or not because i seem to think when the when he opened the trunk there was a guard outside the gate hector pulls up into a car he opens the trunk and sam's laying there in the trunk like she's still dead and i don't think we knew if she was really dead or not yet did we well right then he said something about the sodium pentothal right but we as the audience i don't think we as the audience knew yet did we yeah we thought she was dead and even when he opened the trunk reg had asked about her sister and the head scientist said she's dead yeah he was fucking annoyed with her And then the one scientist comes in. He's like, you know, being mad about things and knocking this machine over ain't going to fix nothing. (laughs) And he goes to pick it up and she fucking bashes him on the head. She's like, asshole. Yeah, that that part. And then the when they go in and they're trying to give the kids laughing gas and they leave. And then the scientists come back and the girls, the two other scientists or nurses or whatever they were. We're laying there giggling like hysterically from the laughing gas and they put a sign on the way to the North Pole or something like that. That was that was humorous, but see, more and more comedy in there. Maybe humorous to us, but to normal people they'll be like, Oh, those poor people, they're like going insane from that laughing gas. That's just sad. And we're la- we're it's humorous to us, but maybe normal people it's not. Let's get into the ratings. Uh 
It looks like Clint's getting closer to the North Pole every minute here. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting farther away. I'm getting farther away from the mic. I just keep leaning back in my chair like, yeah. <laughs> He'll be checking out soon. So what do you what do you got, Clint? What would you rate this? Okay, so I kind of um, I premised this a little bit earlier where I said I would not rate this higher than maximum overdrive. Uh, if you listen to the last episode, we discussed maximum overdrive, and I believe I I gave it a seven. I'm gonna go ahead and give this a six, and I'm not even witty enough right now to come up with a six something of something. A six <laughs> witless. I'm gonna rate the six witless Clint's out of ten. And again, it's it's going to be less than maximum overdrive. They're they're um, very similar. I don't know story context. You know what I mean? But it's just it was PG thirteen and maximum overdrive was R. And I thought just made better. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to bash this movie. I love Night of the Comet. Um, <laughs> by the time you hear this episode, I uh, am going to meet this. All of us are going to meet the stars at the show at Flashback. I can't wait to get their autographs. I will watch this movie another hundred times. Uh, but yeah, I, I rated a six. What about you, Bri? Uh, I think I rated Maximum Overdrive a seven, so or an eight. I gave Maximum Overdrive an eight, so I'll go kind of along the same lines as you, Clint. I'll go uh, seven. I'm not seven. I'm not crazy. I just don't give a fucks. <laughs> how did I? How did I give that up? Oh man. <laughs> what about you, Jason? I have no idea what I rated Maximum Overdrive. Probably, probably a six. Um, so I will give this not one of my favorites. I'm going to, you know, mid middle of the road here. I'm going to give it a five dusty pair of shoes laying on the street at the block party out of 10, you know, but old dead Chuck getting poured out of white loafers. It was a decent movie, you know, just better on my second watch, but I'll, I'll readdress or I'll watch this one again. Something I forgot to mention earlier while we were in the discussion of this. Um, and that is, they were going. They were discussing a remake of this. It was supposed to. Man, I'm I'm sorry, but I can't remember all the details. I remember they were discussing a remake. I remember it was going to be a female director. And the only reason I bring that up is because the article I read put emphasis on that. But I can't remember who it was or why. I believe it was supposed to have a more serious tone. I don't know if it was going to have an R rating or not. But and then I think that was like just before COVID really blew up, and I think it went away. And I could be wrong on that, but I remember, you know, recently they were discussing it and now it's turned to dust. I can't picture them re-releasing a Night of the Comet like in this day and age. I don't know why. I feel like that's just something. If they did, it would be like a straight to digital type thing. It's not going to be like a great movie, but I mean, I guess they could redo it, but it'd probably make some money. I guess if they didn't put a lot of money into it like this one. I mean, it's only a retelling of the greatest story ever told. You know, in 1984, Night of the Comet, it was like basically saying Haley's Comet. I think it was Haley's Comet they, they referenced. Last time Haley's Comet came around is when the dinosaurs disappeared. Well, I had told Jason, I said, if anything, these last two episodes, we've prepared our listeners for what happens when a comet comes by the fucking planet. So if you're not ready, it's your own damn fault. No truck stops, no baseball games, no pop machines. Just hang out inside of a steel building and listen to the I Like It Spooky podcast. Well, you know what is crazy? I do give a fuck about our podcast network, the PFPN. So let's hear from them. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. 
The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So I actually got a couple questions this uh, episode, but we're going to kind of spread them out because the first one we're going to cover is really deep and the other two go together. So listen to this one and then on the next episode we'll get a twofer. So we got a question from our buddy Justin Beam. I just spent the weekend with Justin Beam at the Snake Alley Festival of Film doing amazing things with Reverend Entertainment. Just an all-around nice guy. But Justin wants to know, what film or films did you not like upon first viewing but that came, you came around to liking, and why did your perspective change? What you got, Clint? Anything? I do. So when you uh, read me or shared this question the other day, Melissa and I were sitting out the garage, and I went, oh, man. She goes, what? And I says, well, you know, and I read the question to her. I says, I don't know, because I just, my mind went blank, you know? And I'm like, if I don't like a movie, I just don't watch it again. Like, rarely do I go back and give something a second chance if I if I don't care for it. And um, she looked at me and she goes, you're crazy. We just watched one the other day. And I was like, we did? What was it? And we, it took us a minute to remember. Um, George Barrels Land of the Dead. I had, I had seen that movie when it came out. I went to the theater to see that, and I was excited to see it. And um, I didn't hate it. I didn't necessarily dislike dislike it, but I wasn't a fan of the film. And I think it was because... I was so used to a more indie formula from George and I was more used to a different type of message from George. And this was a Hollywood, it was a George Romero film that he directed, but it was a Hollywood, big budget, huge effects film. And it just didn't sit well with me. So, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, they had some cool moments, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of put it out of my mind a while ago, not that long ago, Melissa and I were talking about movies she likes, she hates the fact that I'm always like, let's watch this movie you've never seen. It's from 1972 and no one's ever heard of it. She's like, can we please watch something new that I haven't seen? And so I brought that up. And I, so before we watched the movie, I, I uh, prefaced it and I said, now I don't know if you're going to like this because it's really different than the other, you know, the, the rest of the films in the trilogy. And as we're watching it, I was like, you know what? This is a really good put together film. And I don't know if it's because I'm a little bit older now. I have more of an appreciation and I pay attention more to films or what it is. But I was just watching. I'm like, actually, this is a really good film. And, and I saw his message that he was trying to say. I'm like, it's well acted. It's well paced. It, it makes you feel things. The effects are great. You care about the characters. It's got a clean ending. Um, and so when it was all said and done, Melissa looks at me and she says, you're crazy. This is a great fucking movie. And I looked at her and I said, no, you're right. I, I was wrong. I, you know, I was so hung up on the fact that George went to Hollywood that I couldn't get over the, you know, get past that to see this is a great film. So with that land of the dead, I remember watching it the first time and yeah, uh, it wasn't a big hit for me and I haven't gone back to it. So I think I need to go check it out again. Actually, I'm kind of lying to you. I think a couple months ago I put it on and I watched the first like two minutes of it and then I got distracted and I didn't, I just turned it off. So I need to revisit that one. And I mean, meeting Eugene Clark, he's like one of the most charismatic people that you can meet and at a con. And he's very good with the fans, gets out there, loves taking pictures with everybody. So one of the most polite people I've ever met in my life. Yeah, super. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, so for this one, um, 
I have a couple movies that are different levels. Uh, one of Brian's pickups, um, 31. That thing was a piece of hot shit when I first watched it. <laughs> we, we, we tell tell us how you really feel. <laughs> my wife and I went. I remember when it came out. They had a special like early preview show like a week before that. It was one night only before the release date. So we went to watch that. And I think 20 minutes into it, the acting was so bad. I looked at my wife and I'm like, hey, do you want to go? <laughs> like, I was straight up like, do you want to leave? And she was like, no, we just paid like extra money for the special like showing or whatever. And so we watched it and I absolutely fucking hated that movie. But then now as it gets shown like some more and I've watched it a little bit more and I kind of appreciate it. I hate the lead up to like fun house or wherever they go. Um, once it gets into it, I like it a lot better. I don't love it, but it's just one where I've kind of gotten appreciation for it. And the second one is the fog, which now I'm kind of cheating here. I did not hate the fog when it first came out, but it just wasn't, it was like, eh, that's all right. Yeah, it's a good, eh, you know, it's all right. Over the last few years, I fucking love that movie. It is up there. It's way up on my list now. I I love it. I have a strong appreciation, but I know I'm a carpenter, you know, nut. So I, I gotta love his movies. But yeah, that's just one. I agree with you completely. the The fog is a fucking masterpiece. Ghost Ghost of Mars. Just because John Carpenter did it does not mean that Ghost of Mars is a good movie. We can we can discuss that and argue about it later. But The Fog, I will agree with you, is a masterpiece and always has been. And I don't know why I wasn't big into it. Maybe, like you said, different time of life, you know. Maybe just, you know, I get more mature now. And I, I find I'm going back and watching tons of movies, not just horror movies, that I hated when I was younger. But I was probably too stupid to understand them at that time. And age changes things. You know, what's interesting is... My my pick was Land of the Dead, and you're like, you know, I, I saw that, and I, I'll go back and watch it and see if I can appreciate it more like from what you said, Clint. And it's just the complete opposite, the same to you, Jason, because I saw 31, and I agree with you. I didn't enjoy the movie. I don't know if I would have as sharply have said it was a steaming pile of shit, but to me, I didn't enjoy it, and it was, it was almost like a very flat, lifeless remake of House of a Thousand Corpses. That's what I took away from it. That's how I always described it. But same thing. I I will go back. You watch Lane of the Dead, and I'll watch Thirty One. We'll give we'll give another more tries. Deal. We got it. All right, Bry. So the movie that I used to not like that I absolutely love now is Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. Out of all the Friday Thirteenths, it was probably my least favorite outside of the first one. I love Jason Goes to Manhattan. I love Part Seven with the telekinesis girl um i loved part six with tom matthews and i was like this movie's stupid like it's not even when you get to the end you're like it's not even jason like whatever it's dumb like i didn't care for it and as i've aged i absolutely love that movie it is my favorite probably by far of the series like i think it's cool that they took this mythology of Jason and somebody used it to revenge their son's death, even though he wasn't really in his son's life. He just wanted a reason to kill people. But it is by far the sleaziest of all the movies. And I I guess I'm going in the opposite direction of you guys. Like, the older I get, the less I want to think about a movie and the more I want to see sleaze. And, like, like I'll go to the movies with Jack and he'll be like, let's go see a 24 movie. And I'm like, ah, 
I mean, they're well acted and they're beautiful and they have great stories, but I'm just like, I have to sit here for an hour and 45 minutes and try to figure out what the fuck's going on. And I leave and I got to go home and look it up on the internet because I'm an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to watch something where somebody's kid gets chopped up for trying to give this other kid some chocolate. He goes on a killing rampage because he's upset. That's all I want. That's it. There's some boobs. There's blood. It's my favorite. I never hated that movie. I was never mad at it. I know a lot of a lot of people felt gypped when they realized it wasn't Jason. I never felt gypped because you got Jason throughout the whole movie. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, at the end it was kind of the bait and switch, but I, just, I guess I didn't give a shit because I got what I set out to get when I sat down to watch that. You know, when I when I watched that movie. When I think I got to the end and I'm like, I'm an idiot. Like his mask isn't even red; it's blue. Like they told me the whole movie that it wasn't him, <laughs> and I'm an idiot. And I didn't even see it. So, yeah, that's my favorite. I love that movie now. Return of the Living Dead and My Bloody Valentine are probably my three favorite. And I've been listening to The Ballad of Harry Warden since the last episode when Jason talked about getting that record. I, like, put it on in the car and he's like, what are we listening to? I was like, The Ballad of Harry Warden. She's like, are you sure? You're ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, I am, but stay out of the line on Valentine's Day. I wish we were driving to Chicago together. Dang it. That'd be good. We're going to play it at the at the table. The Ballad of Harry Warden just on a loop. (laughs) There you go. I don't know if we should necessarily try to do a live flashback, but I think we should record all the conversations. I'm bringing bringing a couple cameras for a little thing that I'm trying to put together that I hope works out. And um, maybe I'll just slap them on the table and just hit record, and we can just, like, pick the best of of flashback and see what kind of crazy conversations we get into. Oh, no. You shouldn't have told us. (laughs) Right, yeah. Just edit edit this out and forget that I said it. Jesus Christ, how hard is that? Come on. Said what? Huh? Uh, Who? Who? Oh, good God. So what what do we got going on? Uh, Keep in mind, when this episode comes out, we will be, what, just done with Flashback, right? Yeah. On August 27th, I got a a one-day show called Wicked Bazaar in Detroit, where I'll be at for Ink Mirrors. And then what's after that? Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, before that, August 20th, I've got a one-day show at Rotten Manor Haunted House, which is in Holly, Michigan. It's going to be a little weird for me because, um, you know, I used to have a haunted house in this area, so I'm going to a quote-unquote rival haunted house. Um, But they're putting on their first ever. They call it the Bizarre Bazaar. They're having a bunch of uh, horror-themed vendors and Never had an issue with with that haunt, so I thought, why not? I'll go try to sell some T-shirts. So yeah, that's for me. August twentieth, and then August twenty seventh, uh, Wicked Bazaar in Detroit, which is a one day event as well. I've got absolutely nothing going on. I know we got some more cons this year, but that's for a later episode. I'm just going to work every day, save my earn time, so I can take more Fridays and Mondays after these long weekends, and that's it. Boring, boring life, but it's good. I like it. <laughs> I'm not complaining. He doesn't leave the house because he's waiting for all the stuff that he orders to be delivered. (laughs) So he can hide it from his wife. (laughs) Damn right. I just just text my daughter. I'm like, hey, get that package. Hide it. The reason he sounds so bored is because he quit buying horror toys. Now he's getting into rap albums and and sports cards. It's for my other podcast. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to name it that rap albums and sports cards. (laughs) 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 I don't know how many listeners I'm going to get, but yeah, there we go. That's catchy. 
All right, Brian, what, what about you? I did get some big news at Snake Alley Festival of Film, and I asked if I could share it. Our buddy Jason Bollinger from Attack of the Killer Podcast and Cracktastic Plastic was like, yeah, I don't see why not. Uh, he said most film festivals kind of keep their judges quiet, but he's like, I don't see why not. Like, it's not a big deal. We're going to put it on the back of the pamphlet when people walk into the con, they can see who all the judges are for the film festival. So I was asked if I would like to judge the short film festival at Halloweenapalooza. It's a short horror film festival at Halloweenapalooza, which is in October in Ottumwa, Iowa. So that's huge news. So I get to watch about 90 horror short movies and judge them, which sounds like a great time. At the same time, it's like, oh, 90 movies. Now for the people who know what you like, they they got an advantage. You took the words right out of my mouth, yeah. Clint, <laughs> let's make a movie. Let's let's we'll we'll submit it. Don't tell anybody. It's gonna be really sleazy. <laughs> so no no serious question, because that he he was same same train of thought here. Are these films already made? Obviously, if you need to watch them between now and then, I think they're already produced, correct? So most of them have been submitted by now, but I think the cutoff is like Maybe maybe it's September first. I don't know, but the cutoff is you know within the next couple months. The nice thing is I can view them all online, do my rating, and I can do like oh I'm going to do ten tonight and then ten tomorrow night and catch up, and then as they come in I can watch them. All right, well it's real simple then for for all of for all of the people who haven't made films yet, all you need to know is base your film around Joe Bob beating hookers while he's snorting cocaine. Off Darcy's chest, and Brian's gonna eat that up, and you're gonna win the you're gonna win the uh, the contest. Hey, I hadn't said that yet this episode. I was doing pretty good. Ding, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Hell yeah! So, so I'm excited. So, what do they consider a short? How is there a limit? Under thirty minutes. Well, it's still long. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, most of them, I went to the Snake Alley Festival of Film, and I did Friday, um, and then several blocks on Saturday, and most of them were. 8 to 12 minutes long. Yeah, but anything under a half hour, they put a limit on. It's a half hour. So you're going to get some that are like 22 minutes, and you're going to get some that are like 5 minutes, but most of them fall in that um, 8 to 12 minute range. And there's a rating scale. How did your How did your film debut go with uh, in, in the Brett and Tony Ab and Ash film? Abe, I'm sorry, Abe, I said Ab. Abe and Ash film. It got cut really short because the sound and the mall wasn't great so you couldn't really hear anything i said but they put my name on there and then at the end they put my name on it again but it sounds like there's some maybe some more stuff coming up that i can't really go into detail but i was asked what i was doing this next weekend they're like what are you doing next weekend and i was like i'll be in chicago why so i was like oh dang it he's about to cancel on us for his other friends no no i'm going to chicago but yeah i talked to clint about you know, he's got this Cletus character. I was like, you could do a Cletus short and put it in the film festival. He's like, well, I kind of just see that more as like a commercial and stuff. And I was like, well, there was documentaries and movies and commercials are short movies, music videos and stuff like that. And there I'm sure we you could spin it somehow to make it like a short. It, it's possible. You know, you know, what sucks about that is I've gotten so busy and, and I don't want to say bit off more than I can chew, but. Cause I can handle what's going on, but I thought I would also be able to handle doing Cletus goes to the movies. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I was just actually talking to Anson days, one of the actors who agreed to come on for uh, a part in that short. He's like, so what's going on? And I was like, you know, I might have to wait till late fall or early spring. I just, 
I have not been able to get any time to to put towards that, which is a bummer. The three of us, the three of us have a little short that we're, you know, have been talking about for a while in September. I'm pretty confident that that'll be able to take place with no problem. But the Cletus goes to the movies was supposed to, you know, preface that. But uh, I'll just have to rework a couple things. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. In, in my mind, that stuff was just for social media, you know, t-shirtinkmirrors.com. I like a spooky horror podcast commercials, you know, but I guess it could be entertaining in the big screen. I'd, I'd pay to watch it. I'll eat some popcorn and watch them. <laughs> the hell? Yeah, you could always, I mean, editing is a wonderful thing. You could make it an Ink Mares commercial and then kind of edit it up and maybe add some stuff and make it a short at the same time. Use it for both. I mean, make it sleazy. Sleazier the better. God, you make me sound like I run a brothel or something, like like I'm Larry Flynn or something. <laughs> wait, wait till you read the part that I wrote for you in that screenplay for Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers too. I'm I'm going to bring it along to show Chicago so you can read it. <laughs> well, I think that's everything that we got going on, and don't forget to check us out on our socials on Facebook at I Like a Spooky Horror Pod, Instagram I Like a Spooky Horror Pod, Twitter. I like it underscore spooky. Send us an email at I like a spooky pod at gmail.com. I hope everybody has a good week. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>We here from the I Like It Spooky Horror podcast want to thank actress Catherine Mary Stewart and actor Ivan E. Roth from Night of the Comet for taking the time to record the opening for this episode. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?